let me, if I can, um, talk today about what happened to my money. And there, there are five things I said I want you to think about. Now, what I want to do, to be fair, is give you all five so that you can see where I changed, okay? If you have the notes from last week, uh, and if you're watching from home, you can download the notes and you can see them uh, live on your computer. But notice with me the five things that I think are important. Now, let me show you a graphic that illustrates the, the, the whole image that I want you to see. The, the idea of a river, and this river um, has a bend in it, and I'll put up in just a minute, but the river has a bend and has some money, little dollar signs in it, and the goal of this series is to talk about how you adjust your financial river. And we're going to look at Abraham's River. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Abraham's River. Abraham's River is crucial because in Abraham's River, we're going to find his financial river, some interesting things. A lot of people don't look at Abraham from a financial standpoint, which is really um, unfortunate because he was a very strong man financially. He was very successful. He, he understood a lot of uh, basic things about making money, and obviously was greatly rewarded because of his efforts. But I wanted to, uh, it, let me describe first all five, and then I'll come back and talk about Abraham's river. The first thing I said you need to do if you want to adjust your financial river, if it's flowing in the wrong direction, is you have to first adjust what you believe. And the reason you have to adjust what you believe is because what you believe affects everything. Now, that alone deserves a series. Well, we'll talk about how your belief system has affected your life. What you have in the bank now is a direct, direct link to what you believe. If you don't have enough in there, your belief system did not get you to where you wanted to be. And so you have to change what you believe. And it's hard for you sometimes to admit that, but this, the debt you have is tied to your willingness to sign. Because nobody made you. You signed or you swiped, one of the two. And so your belief system has to change if you want to change that result. And I have come to believe that many churches have the wrong belief system when it comes to money. And, and, and so they have the result they have. Second thing we said is you have to adjust what you sow. Now say that with me, please. Say, adjust what you believe. Adjust what you sow. The Bible says, whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. Last week I talked about that. It's, what you have is a direct link to what you planted in the soil of your life. If you don't like what you planted, then we need to sow differently, give differently. Now today uh, is where we see the change. The third sermon I was going to preach on, I, and these are good. These next two things I'm going to say are great. Uh, I said adjust your management habits, and I was going to talk about the importance of adjusting your habits. And Abraham had some great habits, and I'll, I, I think that's just a good point. We'll see some of that in what I'm going to say. And then I was going to talk about adjusting your routine. So here's how the list goes. I said adjust what you believe, adjust what you sow, adjust your management habits, and adjust your routines to match your money goals. All that's true. All that's true. That's exactly what you should do. But I, I felt like I wanted to shrink the list. And I want to shrink the list to four things. And because it's my sermon, I can do that. So here's what I'm going to do now. The first one, we're clear, adjust what you believe. Number two, adjust what you sow. But now, if you're following me, you see number three is different. Adjust your faith under pressure. Say that with me, please. Come on. Adjust your faith under pressure. I took all of Abraham's life after studying it and working through the whole teaching and squeezed it into that statement, and you'll see why in a moment. If you can adjust your faith under pressure, you're going to have the ability to adjust your financial river. If you can learn to do that, and Abraham was a master at it, and you'll see that in his story in just a moment. Then the fourth thing, which I'll talk about next week, I'm not changing this, I don't believe 
Adjust your comfort with money discussions. Say that with me, please. Come on. Adjust your comfort with money discussions. Who do you talk to about money? Who can you go to and have an open, transparent money discussion? Now, I'm telling you, this is a make or break deal. If you don't learn to do this, you'll never succeed. Churches that are uncomfortable talking about money will never have money. They will always struggle. They'll have to sell chicken dinners and barbecue dinners and all that stuff all their life. They'll have to go through all that. They'll never be able to challenge people to tithe and give, and, and they'll struggle. Families that can't talk about money. Here you are, all five of you, getting together, brothers and sisters, and <clears throat> there's one that's really struggling, but you can't talk to them. They're borrowing money from everybody in the family. We should have a money discussion. Why are you borrowing money from everybody? You know, well, maybe we'll let one of us help you. This is my business. This is my life. That's a broke person talking. It's when you're open, open your heart and you're willing to let somebody help you. So there's something about adjusting yourself and adjusting to a place where you can comfortably sit down and talk about money. Now, I want to tell you, it's not easy. It's not, it's not easy for Diana and I. We're totally different. Our money views and, and approaches are different. The way she summarizes it is not how I summarize it. But that's okay. We still have to find a way to partner. You do not get to ignore the partner you're with. You do not get to say, they're like that and I'm like this, so forget it. We're going to live on my side of the bridge, you live on your side of the bridge. That's a broke family. That's a family that's going to always have money trouble. You're going to always have difficulty. I am convinced one of the biggest mistakes I ever made in my life was trying to do it all myself. Trying to do it, you can't do it all yourself. You have to, even if I'm good at it, even if, even if I'm good at it, there's an element I miss when everybody's not in the room. When I sit down and I hammer it through together and I'm transparent and open, that's what makes a difference. I mentor churches quite a bit, and one of the things I found is getting them to be transparent and open. Now, you don't have to be transparent with everybody, but there has to be a system in place. Every month, our finances are reviewed every 30 days by an outside company. Every year, they're audited by an outside company. Every month, they're reviewed by a smaller council group, leadership group. I mean, that, you have to have some system in place where your money is transparently reviewed. And if, the, if you don't create that, and for us, it's every week, there's a process. You have to do that. If you don't do that, you will not have resources. You will not pay your bills. You'll start getting behind. There's nobody to say, hey, you're spending too much. Hey, you're spending too much. Hey, 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 what's going on here? Hey, look at your, look at your reserves. Look at what's happening to your, your cash. Look, I see your cash, but your current liabilities, you're not able to meet your current liabilities. There's something wrong. You know, if you can't read those balance sheets, profit, loss, cash flow, you can't read those things, especially if you're in business, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're in trouble all day. And so isolating yourself on some island and not talking about money is not a guarantee to success. It's a guarantee to failure because it will sneak up on you. Most people, a lot of small business people get in trouble. I don't know what happened. That's right, you don't know. That, you should know. If the train's going to hit you, you should know it's coming. And if you pay attention and you open your heart, you can see it coming. And there's something valuable about that. It's good to have, if you're in business, an accountant. You've got to have lawyers. You've got to have people to help you. You've got to have people to talk to you and let them talk to you. Let them ask you, what are you doing with your money? Why are you hiring that many people? You got too much staff. You got too, you're, you're, you're buying the wrong equipment. You're in the wrong business. You're not making any profit. Stop staying in business. Say you're in business. If you're not making any money, get out of it. Time to go. Happy trails to you. We're broke and got no money. It's time to go. Praise the Lord. You know, if you're in business and you're talking, oh, it's a ministry, you're going to be a broke person. Let me tell you right now. Don't do it. You're in business to make money because that's what God put you there for. You can bless people, but if you're not making money, you need to consider something else. Don't that make you nervous? But it's the truth. Amen. Give me an amen. Come on. Amen.
That's why a lot of Christians are in trouble in business because they can't make that kind of decision. They can't say that. You know, there, there are times when, when we, we just don't reroute the river because we will not allow an open, honest, safe discussion about the money. You got rental property. You got stuff that's worth. Pause. Look at this stuff for real. And, and don't, don't just pray over a problem. Well, Lord, we're, we're, we're $50,000 a month in the red. What should we do? Run. <laughs> it's time to sit down and say we need to decide if this is going to turn around or not. I think it can in some cases. But you can't be afraid to have that discussion. And you can't get stuck on the I fail thing. You ought to thank God you had the courage to try it. But you're not going to fix your finances by praying. You're not going to fix your finances by just tithing. You're not going to fix your finances by just coming to church. You're not going to fix your tithing by speaking in tongues over your bills. You're not going to fix your problems until you are willing to have an honest money conversation. Now, I said that because some of you are not coming back next week, so I want to throw it at you. All right. <laughs> Praise God. Now, so I'll hit you with that one. Praise God. Let's go back front page. Let me show you if I can. Uh, the, the big question that I want to ask you, has, has your financial river ever been overrun by financial pressure? Now, I made it capitalism. I capitalized river and financial pressure because I want you to see those terms. See that. Your financial river can be overflowed whether you're saved, whether you're in the Bible, whether you love God or not. You can get to a place where you're overrun. Now, I want to show you somebody who had moments when his life was overrun. And I want to read for you five examples, five observations in this man's life that I think are profound. There are five observations. So look at your notes. Let me show you all five, and then we'll, we'll move on. First of all, I want you to notice Abraham's river had expensive family pressures. Say it with him, please. Expensive family pressures. His river had strong financial convictions. Say that with me, please. Come on. Strong financial convictions. Also, his river had strong financial temptations. Say that with me, please. Come on. Strong financial temptations. His river had strong financial what? Balance. Say that with me, please. Come on. Strong financial. And then lastly, his river required faith under what? Pressure. His river required faith under pressure. Now, those are the five things that I want you to observe in his life. See his finances as a river. And I want you to notice chapter 14 of Genesis, verse 14. It describes an expensive family uh, challenge that came up because of a nephew. Now, let me set the stage. Abraham's father at 75 in Genesis chapter 11 decides to have children. That's a good time to start to have children. If you wait till you're 75, you got a lot of sense. So imagine starting your family at 75, how different a parent you'd be. So his father at 75 has, has, uh, has these children, and one of his sons is a brother to Abraham, and he dies. Well, that brother had a child named Lot. Abraham takes him in. He stays with, with uh, his brother's son. You know how that is in family. Somebody loses a loved one. You say, well, look, come on, boy, stay with me. And so when you go to chapter 11, you see them join together. Chapter 12, Abraham leaves. When Abraham leaves, he takes Lot with him. Well, when he takes Lot with him, uh, chapter 13, all of a sudden now, Lot is a problem. In chapter 12, you see Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He's prospering. His, his, his herd's growing. He's got a whole lot of money, and he's got staff. And Lot, because he's with Abraham, 
is blessed because he's with uh, Abraham. So Lot, all of a sudden, now he's got a staff, and he's got a whole bunch of herd, a whole bunch of, whole bunch of uh, cattle. And so now I would think that Lot would be extremely thankful. Well, you got family members you've helped, and they forget real quick sometimes who did what. Well, in chapter 13, he forgets. And uh, there is strife in chapter 13 between the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham. Now, in my, my, my opinion, here's what I would have done if I were Lot. Uh, I would have told my staff, you have nothing to say to him, but thank you. And so they were trying to find a place to graze for all the cattle, and it was so many, uh, they had to separate. And so Abraham's uh, family, uh, staff, and Lot's staff were debating about where they were going to graze. Well, you know, so Abraham steps in the middle of it and says, listen, no, let's not have any strife. Lot, whichever way you go, you go right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. You choose. Now, that's called high ground. Now, see, some people would have told him about himself right then. There would have been no argument. There would have been, a, you know, almost a grab by the collar, but not Abraham. Abraham had a tremendous ability to not let money get to him. Even though he's in business, even though he's, you know, this is, this is, this, it would be fair, he chose to take the high ground. And you'll see why in a moment. So he, in chapter 13, you see them separate. Now, you know Lot chose the best land. Now, that just shows you how people can be sometimes. So, and this is a family member. Sometimes the greatest challenge can be family. Now, this, of course, put Abraham in a, in a place where he could easily feel taken advantage of. Sometimes helping family can be very expensive, emotionally and financially. In this case, there is a financial price he pays to get up on the high ground and move beyond this awkward moment. Well, chapter 13, um, they separate. Chapter 14, the world changes. You know, what goes around comes around. And in Genesis chapter 14, there is this, um, matter of fact, if you've got a Bible, I want you to just, I want to read this. I, I didn't read it yesterday, but I want to read this today. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 14. I want to show you something. Because I, I think this is a, an, an interesting story. Because you have, you have Abraham who is sitting there, and uh, he is trying to do the right thing. But boy, I tell you, when you've got some people in your life, you just can't, you can't win. Uh, it, it, it said in verse 1, it came to pass in the days of Amphrael, king of Shinar, Arach, king of Eliezer, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam. So that's why I didn't want to read it. And the Tidal, nations, king of nations, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah. See, you heard that? Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemeber, king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela. You don't remember all that, right? All these joined together in the valley of Zidim. Uh, that is the Salt Sea. And 12 years they served Chedorlaomer, and the 13th year they rebelled. And so anyway, these two groups start fighting. These two kingdoms start fighting. All these kingdoms come together and they start fighting. So you got a group over here and a group over there. Now, the, the, the group that Lot is in is going to lose. And when they lose, what's going to happen is Lot's going to be captured. And he's going to send an email <laughs> Abram, hey, I'm all jacked up. I need your help. You ever had a family member call you twice? You just watched them go the wrong way and you couldn't say anything? And so now he's in trouble. He wants Abraham to come bail him out. Now, Abraham uh, is interesting because, now you're going to look at your notes here. I'm going to show you. Abraham intervenes in a battle he did not create. He had nothing to do with it. That is the challenge of managing family. You oftentimes have to get into stuff 
You didn't do. You're down there trying to bail somebody out. You never even been to the bail's bond. You don't even know what office is. You don't have any lawyers. You don't know. You're not involved in this world. They've been here several times, but you now have to jump in the world, and then they want you to guarantee with your house or guarantee some, you know, you, you say what? Say that again. And so all of this now is going on. Now, Abraham is jumping in the middle of this, and this is expensive. This could cost lives. He's been captured. This is, you know, you can't go bail him out of jail. This is, we got to fight some people. We got to kill some people to save you. So watch what happens. Verse 14 of Genesis chapter 14. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now, I want you to notice he has trained soldiers. He, here is a man who understands security. Nobody was going to steal Abram's cattle. Abram's stuff was safe because he had ninjas working for him. <laughs> he trained them from their youth. He's practical. Some of you are so saved and, and you don't lock anything. <laughs> See, I believe in security. I think it's God's will. I don't want to be persecuted unnecessarily. <laughs> there, there is some, some persecution necessary. Sometimes it's not. It's because you didn't pay attention to where you were. So here you have this man who has a crisis that comes up. He don't have to go and train somebody. He has all of his life prepared for this day. And so they go out and they, they deliver a lot. He divided them, verse 15, uh, against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is uh, north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods, also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. That means those staff people who are arguing about what place they should graze. Now, all of them he delivers. Now, imagine how shame Lot is right now, see? Cost me all this money, all this time, all this effort, you see? And uh, now we had to come out here and fight people to free you. So now he's freed, and he's got all the goods from the Lot lost. He got them all back. And then he got all the stuff that those kings had. So he has a lot of stuff. He had a lot of money. Now, this is where you can lose your mind. All of a sudden, now you have money. And watch how he responds to it. I, I love his response. Notice his financial convictions show up. Your financial convictions have a lot to do with the way your river flows. Watch what he does. Now, this is important. Uh, verse 18 of, of Genesis chapter 14. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, uh, and, and blessed be uh, God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And watch what he does. Now, we call him Abraham, but it's really Abram at this point. His name changes later to Abraham, which means exalted father. Now, I want you to watch this now. He gave him a what? Tithe of what? All. Gave him a tithe of all. There's no mandatory requirement. It's not written anywhere. Abraham decides on his own, after I won this battle, I want to first stop and honor God. Tithing is mentioned for the first time in the Bible by Abram. Abram decided to do it. This was not, this was not a way to impress God. This was a way to say thank you. 
Wasn't trying to impress anybody. Thank you, God, for the victory. When you have financial victories in your life, what's the first thing you think of? Who do you go to first to say, thank you for an incredible paycheck? Thank you for an incredible profit on this deal. Notice his attitude. This is before the law. Later on, you'll see in a moment, I'll show you the text where the Bible says God required or asked us to tithe. But I want you to note with me, it was not started in the law. The law simply picked up on what their father of faith modeled for them. He said, after this victory. Now, I want to say, you may have had victories in your life, but what benefit did God get out of that? What appreciation did he get? There's something about stopping, like he does, by the church. Stopping by the house of God. First place he goes is to the priest. The priest comes out, starts celebrating, and the priest doesn't ask for anything, doesn't pass the plate, doesn't pass the plate, doesn't say, well, now that you won, what you going to do, Abram? He doesn't do that. What he does, Abram voluntarily, of his own free will, gives. And let me tell you, and that's the kind of giving that makes a difference. Now watch what happens. Notice the temptation he fights off. And every river, there's financial temptation. As your river moves, there are moments when you have an opportunity to be selfish. Now, I want you to watch what he says. Now, I never noticed this. Out of all the years I've studied Genesis classes, tests, books, I've never noticed this. It's sad. I'm sorry, but I never noticed it. This is amazing to me. Verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abram, hey, give me the persons, you know, all the people you captured. Give me those people. But take the goods for yourself. Take the money. You can have the money. Verse 22, Abram said to the king of Sodom, here's what I never noticed. I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and that I will not take anything that is yours. Least you should say, I have made Abram rich. I do not want anything. What an incredible decision. The temptation is to take everything. And if you're not careful, that's what you'll do. You'll go work and make your money and build your retirement and take everything. Everything you make, I'm keeping it. I'm building. I'm, and you start thinking about yourself. This was a, and it would be justified. This boy's cost me money. You know, this boy's cost me. I had to bring, bring all these soldiers out here. That's a lot of food. You know what I'm saying? 300 people traveling. That's a lot of food, a lot of time. And, 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 and I, I need my money back. But he says, no, I told God I'm not taking anything. What he didn't do first was what I am going to do is honor God with a tenth of it. And that's what the word tithe means. Now, let me clarify something because some people say it wrong. Don't say tithes because it's not a tithe. So everybody say tithe. T-I-T-H-E, tithe. It means tenth. He said, what I will do, king, everything, everything here, I'm going to give God a tenth of it. Everything. And he wanted to honor God first. Then he said, but I don't want anything for me. I love this attitude because he's careful who he partnered with. He didn't personally want to link up with this guy, the guy who's over Sodom. Nah. <laughs> I don't want any of your money. I like the fact that he doesn't he doesn't feel like, I'll make money with anybody. Who are you partnered with? 
You're praying for God to bless you, but look who you're partnered with. There's a moment when you look at your life and you have to say, man, this, this is a problem. I got the wrong partners. I got people that are not honest. I got people that, that work for me that are just doing deals to get dollars. I mean, this is a guy who says, I don't want anything. I love the fact that he had the courage to walk away from money. Sometimes in life, that is the right decision. The right decision to say, don't pay me for that. No, 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 this is not, this is not a deal I need. It's amazing how you can compromise your soul and then pray for God to bless you. It's amazing. But he knew. No, no, no. But then I love the balance he had. This is so powerful because he was balanced. He does not force it on everybody. Here's what he said. I love this comeback. Verse 24. Accept only what the young men who have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me. Give them their portion. Let them have their portion. I don't, I'm not going to force everybody else to make my decision. I'm not going to force anybody else. This is about me. I love it. I thought, God, give me the courage to stand up and say, this is about me and my moment of integrity to make this right, bold decision. I love this, man. Come on, say amen if you're with me, people. He's incredible. He's incredible. Then the last thing I want you to notice about this guy is this. Now, I want you to notice I put a note there. The tithe belongs to the priest. Now, next week I'll pick up on this because what you see is... In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, where tithing is explained in great detail, and I, I, I read all this stuff, you know, people don't, don't like tithing and all that, and most of the time, they're, they're fa fascinating people who write these stories. They don't lead ministries. They're just guys who've got some scholarly perspective from the outside. It's like somebody that has a whole lot of opinions about driving but doesn't drive a car. When you drive a ministry, when you do what Moses did, when you leave three million people, and God had to put a system together to keep these people financially strong, he had a warrior tribes who, who led the war part, you have to divide it up and say, who's going to take care of the spiritual part? So in the 12 tribes of Israel, the Lord said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to separate out the Levites. And that's what I'm going to talk about next week. And these, this tribe of people, Aaron's descendants, I want them to focus on the work of God, full-time, not part-time. I want them to be full-time. Full-time ministry is a call of God upon the church. Because he said, I want these, this tribe, when you guys go and conquer the land, they get nothing. They have no inheritance in the land. They get nothing. Not one piece of land, not one building, not one piece of gold. They get nothing. Their inheritance will be the tithe. You guys will tithe, and they will then sponsor from that tithe. They'll pay for, they'll pay for their families to be supported so they can do full-time ministry they, and, and the temple. And then what's really fascinating is, you know, back in that day, just for the churches didn't have mortgages. They paid cash for it because they could have money conversations. The people would give at such a high level that then they would turn around and, and build the tabernacle cast. Matter of fact, they, even, they brought the materials for the tabernacle and gave so much to it, they had to stop them from giving. And so the tithing system was designed to keep the church from selling chicken dinners and barbecue dinners and begging and preachers with all these creative uh, <laughs> fundraising techniques to get people to give money that really are about manipulation many times because the poor guy's trying to meet the budget so he can keep the church lights on. That's pitiful. 
Now, how do I know that? Watch this. You ready? Here you go. Ready? Here's the math. I'm getting off a little bit, but I'm, at least I know it. Ten people in the house. You ready? Eight don't work. You tracking? We're talking about your house now. We're talking about your house, right? You ready? Okay. How many of you going to put the eight people out? So you're scared to raise your hand. Now. See, see, you know it's a trick question, don't you? You know it's a trick question, right? Right. But you hear what I'm saying to you? In a typical church, it's nine that don't work. Nine to eight to nine that don't work. And, and it's one, and you're the, only one, you're the only one that works. And then they decide to go get 10 more of their friends. <laughs> now it's going to be 20 people in your house. So how many don't work? 18. 18. Is that 18? Huh? 18, 19 don't work, right? Are you tracking with me? Then they decide to go get 10 more of their friends. That's called a growing church. Oh, you call it a broke church. Is that what you call it? That's why they, that's why they got to have $100 lines and all that stuff because typically the pastor dare not have this conversation because they're going to talk about him. He's afraid, so the people are afraid, and so they all stay broke together. Then they build a building that's too big for them that they can't afford. And he had a mortgage on it he got to pay. And some of them are $80,000 a month, $100,000 a month. I know some $300,000 a month. You heard me say a month. I see your face. You're looking at me and say, Pastor Rick, you did not say I said $300,000. I know them personally. Names, six, eight names. Now, it's fine if you're rolling like that, but I want you to hear me. It's a trap. It's a trap for ministry. And what happens is you end up in a place that God never intended for you to be. Here's what God intended. I got to move on. I can't talk about this this week. You're making me slow down. I got to move on. I got to get finished. Here we say. Here's what it says. The tithe belongs to the priest. And the payment of the gift of the consecration out of the spoils of war to the priestly tribe. That's Levites. Who's secured by law. And he goes through this whole discussion, which I'll do another tomorrow, next week. But I want you to understand, God put it in place for a reason. A lot of what's been created is not God created. It's because we're outside of God's will. And so the people aren't blessed. The, the ministry lost its focus, and it's become all about money. See, when you got money, you don't think about money all the time. It's the truth. God, how, many, how many of you right now have a can of pork and beans in your cabinet right now? Raise your hand. Well, how many, wait, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right. All right. How many cans you got? How many cans you got? Two. How many, how many you got? He got five. You ain't got but two. He rolling, sister girl. You wish you was him with your little two cans. She ain't got but two cans. No, you say one can. I see you say one can. What, what, one. Oh, you got two cans? Now they're trying to up it. Wait a minute. Which one is it now? He say he got, you show you got five. They're trying to catch up with you, man. They're trying to. Now, he, now here's what you're saying. Ain't that ridiculous? If you got money, you don't have to worry about who got cans. Because she said, I can go buy another can. You know what I mean? she, she ain't worrying about that. She might go buy something after church. Show him, get six cans on you. Now, see, when you got money, you don't go through all them foolish changes. Come on, say amen. Praise God. You get people, you get people, man, who, who fix that. That's why when you're with friends who are broke, they get on your nerve because they always need something and, and always throwing little hints. You got your own money, you got your own money, you leave people alone. That's why you can't have any friends who are blessed. Because every time you get around people that are blessed, you start leaning on them. All right, come on, say amen. All right. All right. 
Come on, come on, come on. That's why some of you need to make sure you're here next week when I finish this out. All right, here we go. We've got to close out. Got to close out. I've got to give a couple minutes for questions. Here's what I believe is required in your river, for your river to flow right. You have, to re- you have to know how to have faith under pressure. Now, after Abraham walks away from the money, in chapter 15, God calls him into a meeting. Because, see, he just left a lot of money on the table. And sometimes when you leave money on the table, you're discouraged. Here's what God said, said to him. After these things, chapter 15, after these things, the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid. First thing, don't be afraid. I am your shield. I'll protect you and your exceedingly great reward. When you're under pressure, remember, he's your shield. And that's what he wants them to do, have faith. He wants them to focus. Then he says to him, but Abraham, watch this now, said, Lord God, what will you give me? See, that's not a wrong question. You think God's nervous because you asked him something? He can hear your thoughts before you think. So he said, he said, what will you give me? First thing, he, then he named something at the top of his list. And it's not money, because he's got money. I go childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. He said, Abraham said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. I'm struggling. And behold, where the Lord came to him and said, this one shall not be your heir, but one shall come from your own body shall be your heir. Now, what he tells him is, I don't care how it looks, you're going to be fruitful. I don't care what you did, you dealt with a lot last chapter, but don't worry, you're going to be fruitful. And don't you settle for believing you can't be. It's so easy to settle and say, well, I'm just stuck here. And I believe, you, I believe if you take that attitude, you'll lose. But I want you to watch. This is so important. And behold, the word of the Lord came, said to him, he shall not be. Verse 5. Then he brought him outside and said. Now he's inside the tent having this conversation with God. And God says, go outside. He was where? Inside the tent. And then God said, do what? Go outside. Now a friend of mine from God pointed that out to me. It was such a great thing. I never saw it in my life. Go outside. And look up. Look down toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed. He believed in the Lord. And that's what made him righteous, because he believed. And he said, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Remember, I'm the one who brought you here. Now, I love the fact that he said, go outside. Some of you are stuck in the tent. You need to go outside. You need to look up. You're not, you're not looking up. You're looking at you're stuck where you are. Every now and then in your life, when your financial river and your life river is not flowing where you want it to be, go outside and look up and watch God work for you. Go outside and lift your head up and say, I know he's my shield and my protector. I got difficult family members. I got things that aren't fair to me, but God is faithful. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hand. Amen. There's something that happens when you look up. 
and he did. And when he looked up, if you look at the rest of his life, in the New Testament, we start singing, Abraham's blessings are mine. The Bible says in Galatians, you're blessed with faithful Abraham. He became a model of believing under pressure. And I want you, no matter what it looks like, could be family pressure brought on by a lot in your life. Some of you say, no, I got a lot of it. <laughs> I have somebody. It could be whatever. He is faithful, and he'll bless you. Amen? Amen. Did you learn something? Yeah. Praise God. All right. Now, here's what I'm going to do for five minutes. All right? Five minutes. Just five. That's it. I'm going to entertain questions about what I said today. Don't ask me about Ezekiel, Daniel, Romans. Don't ask. <laughs> Only ask. And I want just to ask me a question about what I said today. Something that you want a little more clarification on. And I promise you that next week will be the last week I'll do this after the sermon. Anybody have a question about what I said today? Ask me a question. Or if you want to start the bowl this way, tell me. You got a question? Anybody got a question first? Okay, you do? Right here? Yes. Did he come in your way? He's going to bring the mic to you. What's your question? I know about the 10%. What is the such thing as going to 20%? Yeah, I think so. But I think for a lot of people, that's not wise. I, I, and here's why I say that. It depends on where you are economically. If you're in a position that you can give, I got friends who give 30% of their money away. I, I, and this is a personal testimony, one of my weaknesses has been generosity. I have overdone it. I've given too much. And I think that if I look at my financial history, that's been a weakness. I tried to do, uh, when we pledge around here, and I'm going to come to y'all in a little while and talk to y'all about a new campaign that's going to be a blessing. Say amen if you're there. Amen. But I'm telling you, I overdid it. I like saying what I'm going to give to people. If I'm going to give $10,000, I'll say it's make inspire. Maybe I'll inspire somebody to get some faith. But the problem was trying to overstate it. Then trying to double tithe. And then, I mean, just, just, I, just I, I went too far. And, and what you do is you hurt your own ability to build cash and reserve for yourself. You see? So I, I believe, I, I want you to start with your tithing. Come on, say amen. I, I, let's start there. Tithes and offerings. And, uh, and watch God bless you. So that's my answer to that. Somebody else have a question? Good. Good morning, right Pastor. Yes. Good morning. I just wanted to ask a question. I don't know whether you're going to cover this in your series, but let's uh, talk about inheriting and then creating an inheritance for your children and your family. Well, the Bible says a wise man creates an inheritance for his family. I think it's great to do that. I, 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 a friend of mine in Israel had me laughing, though. He said Americans do it wrong. He said they create an inheritance and give it to their kids when they die. They believe in Israel, give it to them while they're living so that you can teach them how to manage it. So I, I believe in inheritance for your kids, but I think it starts with you getting your financial life in order with an you know, emergency fund, top of the list, four to six months, eight months if you can. If you can't do that, get a thousand, get something, praise God, where you can, you can at least save yourself a little bit. So start with yourself and then teach your kids. And uh, I think give them wealth while you're living so they can learn to manage. I, I mentioned something the other day as a, as a sidebar about allowances for kids. And, and, and they reminded me, people don't know what that is. I used to get a set amount of money every week. That was my, my paycheck from my family. Now, some of you say, well, you got to clean the room up. You got to wash the dishes. You got to scrub the floor. You got to cut the grass. You got you to walk on your toes, and then you get the money. You know, kids oftentimes, when they leave home, and I've seen this, have no money management skills because they've had no money to manage. Your greatest gift is giving them something to manage 
so that when they leave your house, they won't be crazy. And when they get to college and you give them all the money, they, they don't have any ability to manage anything because you never taught them. So I, I believe, oh, this is a sidebar. Okay, that's free. But yes, inheritance for your kids. Somebody else. Somebody else. Got a question. All right. Is that it for today? All right, now, let me ask you this. What was the awesome thing I said today that you liked the most? You take it home with you. Give me at least three of those. What, what did I say today? You said, man, now that I like. What was, your, what was your high point today? You're going to take this home with you. You said, this was really the ringer for me. What was it? Raise your hand. What's yours? Say it loud. When things are down, look up. When things are down, look, look up. up. Go outside the tent. Get outside. Look up. I like that. Good. What would you like? Abraham paid tithes, and it was a gift to God. Melchizedek. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Him not wanting to do business with the king of Sodom. You like that part. Yes. Yes. It's broke talk. It's my money. It's my life. <laughs> it's, that's not, broke not talk. Looking, not looking to somebody who can help you. It is. And it's pride talk, broke talk. It's hurt me. It hurts us. If we're not transparent, God will not be able to bless us. That's well said. Somebody else. Yes, right here. It was, in, it was about him. Leaving it on, being, being integrous. Walking away from money can be a real, real tough decision, but important one. Somebody else. Where you at? Way over there in the corner. What you got? Adjust your faith. Say, say what now? Adjust your faith when you're under pressure. Adjust your faith when you're under pressure. All right. Now, I want to say this today. I'm going to pray a blessing for you financially. You want it? Amen. All right. Put your stuff down. Let's stand up. We're going to pray. If you're watching from home, I want you to join us in this prayer. I believe it's time. I believe it's time for some of you to make that crossing in your life. I believe in a start. We have one every year, a 90-day tithing challenge. You've never tithed before. For the next 90 days, say, Father, I'm going to trust you. If I make $400, I'm going to give you $40. If I make a dollar, I'm going to give you a dime. I'm going to give you one tenth, and I'm going to honor you. Then I'm going to pray for God to inspire you to save 10% for yourself. I'm going to inspire God to, I don't care if you save 3%, start somewhere. And I believe if you begin to say, well, we're going to reroute this financial river. We're going to stop charging stuff. We're going to pay cash. If we can't pay cash, we're going to wait. We're not going to dig ourselves into more debt. My car's running. Don't buy a new one. Praise God. So if it's moving, hold on. There's a time to get it. But not, not if you're broke already. If you can wait a minute, back up the train a little bit. And, and allow God to, to rewrite our financial rivers. So I, I, I've got goals I'm working on, and I want you to join me. So I'm going to pray a blessing for you. Raise your hand, would you please? Father, I pray for all these who come to the house of God today. They come with all kinds of stories and challenges. I ask you to let the Holy Spirit bring healing to their lives today. Their finances. I pray solely for their finances that you would first of all make them comfortable with financial discussions. They would not be offended. They would not be nervous. I declare by faith that the Holy Spirit would heal hearts today, restore minds today. And God, I, I pray that your hand of grace would give them the strength to not be afraid. And I want you to say this with me, please. Say, in the name of Jesus, I am rerouting my financial river. I invite God into my resources. This day, my life will take a new direction. 
I believe God's blessing, Abraham's blessing, are mine. Father, I declare that in their lives today. May they see an amazing turnaround. Wives and husbands that have been divided would open their hearts. Single people would invite friends who are smart with money to be a part of their discussion. I pray things would open up for them in a way they never imagined before. That business people would make better choices. That they would admit what they're wrong. That they would open their hearts. If the business is not going well, they'd have the courage to go and get counseling. And if the business is not the right business, they'd get in another business. But I pray whatever the right decisions are, they would not be afraid to make them. And I praise you and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Now I want to say one more thing to you. I want you to look at me for a second. I've been saying something to myself. Because now I feel I'm making the right choices but I, I had this interesting thought in the last several weeks, months of, of my life. Every time I come back around to a decision that I made wrong before, but I'm making it right now, the emotion that I feel, I often say, this is why I made the wrong decision. Now I'm going to make the right one, but I see why I made, I made the wrong one. Some of you parents, you wouldn't confront your children. But when you finally confront them and you're in that tense conversation, you say to yourself, this is why I didn't do it right the first time, because I didn't want this conversation. I, I, was, I was afraid I was going to lose this friend when I kept saying, I can't loan you money like that now. Or I can't, I can't have you, I, we can't function this way. And because you're afraid you're going to lose that relationship, you don't say it. You didn't say it. Now you're going to say it, but you, you, you feel the emotion. And it's helped me. I, I, I can't keep blaming myself for what I didn't do right. There was a reason why some of you did drugs. There was a reason why some of you were frustrated. There was a reason you were unfaithful. There was a reason. If you can identify the reason and face the truth about yourself, you were just afraid. You were insecure. Come on, say amen. You hear me? You, you had an issue. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself and move on with your life and do it right. Do not spend the next 10 years grieving over one turkey you had in your life, a turkey at. The reason you had a turkey was because you were gobble gobbling. Now you have stopped gobbling and you're better and you're gonna be, make a better choice. Don't be afraid of love, don't be afraid of the future, don't be afraid of life, don't blame every man or every woman for what, just let it all go, put it all under the blood, put all the debt under your feet and say in Jesus' name. I'm not that person anymore. I'm not who I used to be. And I don't have to sit here and apologize for what I used to be or what I don't have because of what I lost. I'm looking forward. Come on, church. Are you hearing me today? I'm looking forward. So today, Lord, we leave with faith and confidence and believe your hands upon our lives. And we give you praise. And we thank you for the future. We thank you for what you're going to do. And we thank you for a prosperous church, a prosperous families, prosperous church, prosperous, prosperous business, prosperous individuals, happy people who are focused not on themselves, but focused on others. They can look beyond themselves, like Abraham did that day. He looked beyond himself. And you said, look up, I'm going to bless you anyway. In Jesus' name. Now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, we talked about, about money, but my issue is my spiritual river.